Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul now is transitioning to a different topic, and that is being safe, spiritually safe among an unsafe world. And this topic is timeless as the devil has his people in various positions in churches all over the world. So Paul is encouraging them with a reminder to rejoice. Why? Because we belong to the family of God through our faith in Jesus, and nobody can take that from us. However, there are those that would attempt to delude our faith by deceiving us into believing things contrary to scriptures, and there is no shortage of evil people deceiving people today, nor was there in Paul's time. Verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul was very zealous for God, and as a Jewish leader, circumcision was something that identified a person as under the law of Moses. Abraham's covenant with God required circumcision as a sign of that covenant or calling back to remembrance of the covenant. And this was passed down and reiterated in the law of Moses and was very important among the Jews. So circumcision being a sign of the covenant with Abraham distinguished people from those outside circumcision because the other people groups in the land did not practice it. And this distinction became a source of elite separatism in the thinking among the Jews. Now God had called them to be separate, to be a people separated for him, but he didn't call them to think that they were better than other people. They were special because of many things. They had the law, they had the covenants, the prophets, they had the temple, they had all this stuff that was given by God. Not to mention their history was pretty crazy, what God did. And the Gentiles were just not a part of that. And so as a source of pride in their circumcision, Paul is now flipping that. And he's using the word dogs, evildoers, and mutilators to describe those who take pride in their circumcision, which was pretty offensive in his day. It was not a nice thing to say and was used repeatedly by the Jews to describe the Gentiles. But Paul here is now using the same word to describe them. Now, he wasn't condemning circumcision that was given by God, and he wasn't necessarily condemning the Jews. He was condemning those people who were insisting that if a Gentile wanted to become part of the church, he had to be circumcised according to the law. And that was hammered out in Acts chapter 15 as like, no, you're not required to do that. Let the Gentiles be. This group infiltrated the church early on. We see that in the book of Acts. They were trusting in their religion and circumcision, which separated them from the Gentiles. But when the Gentiles came to faith, they're like, hey, you need to be circumcised. Now, in the book of Acts, Paul goes to synagogue after synagogue, preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus. And some believed, but there always seemed to be those who opposed Paul, not based on his teaching, necessarily, because he was correct in his expounding of the Old Testament. Rather, they were filled with jealousy and rage against Paul. And this is a spiritual condition. These people were disconnected from God, so much so that they couldn't discern the truth of God from a lie. So they gave Paul a lot of grief. Verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So the true circumcision is a spiritual state which we have cut away our flesh and we are truly worshiping God as the Holy Spirit fills us and compels us. It is God causing us to worship by his Holy Spirit being in us. Paul had no confidence in his own righteousness, and I think everyone can agree he was pretty righteous by worldly standards, and we also should have no confidence in our righteousness. We are not righteous outside of God. It's God's righteousness that is imputed to us when we have his Holy Spirit in us. We are no better than anybody else. And outward godliness is something that can be very deceitful and deceive people into thinking that, look at how righteous I am, and they don't realize how desperately they need mercy and forgiveness like we do. We all need that. And it's foolishness to pretend to be righteous or trust in your own righteousness. It doesn't work. 
Verse 4, though I myself have many reasons for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Man, he was born the poster child Pharisee. He had all the credentials to be considered righteous, to be the right bloodline, everything. So here, in the next few verses, he gives his pedigree to make the point that he has every reason to consider himself righteous by the law of standard, but none of that matters to God. But he's going to lay it out anyway in verse 5. Circumcised. On the eighth day, that's prescribed by law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. So all of Paul's accomplishments are nothing in the eyes of God. Therefore, we should view our accomplishments in the same manner. Yeah, God allows us to have accomplishments. God leads us in direction where we may have a position or we may have a title or something like that, but none of that's relevant. All that is is being obedient to what God has called you to do. So if there's anything to brag about, it's not your position. It's the fact that, hey, God put me here. It's him. He's the one that deserves the credit. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now he compares his prestigious pedigree to rubbish when compared to knowing Jesus. Verse 9, And be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Again, it's not our work. Everything good in us comes from above. Galatians 3.11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And this is what many religious people in Paul's day and our day, they don't understand. Nothing we do in our own strength impresses or pleases God. The law of Moses was not meant to show how righteous the Jews were, rather to show their need for repentance because of their unrighteousness. It's our faith in God that matters. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Verse 11, and by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's emphasis was not on doing good things for God, rather it was knowing God and knowing his sufferings, knowing what our purpose in life is, is to glorify God no matter what. And we can't know God unless we have a relationship with him, and we can't have a relationship with him if we don't spend time with him. But when we do these things, we understand we will also experience the resurrection from this old existence into a brand new world that is far better than this current one. And some mock the resurrection, but hey, when it comes, it's going to be awesome. Verse 12, not that I've already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul's always looking forward to the kingdom of God. He was so convinced in his faith that God was using him for the kingdom and that the resurrection was coming. All that frustration, infighting, persecution, etc. was all worth it. His eyes were on the prize. That's Jesus. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The finish line was still ahead and he knew it. So he's not concerned about yesterday or what happened in the past. Rather, he is pushing forward into today, awaiting tomorrow where he will do the same thing. I'm serving the Lord. You know, I know personally a lot of people that grew up and had a really rough upbringing. Bad things happened to them. And some did what Paul is saying here. They left it behind. They pursued today, awaiting that finish line, always looking forward, not dwelling on the past. 
Others, however, are still being controlled by their past. They're held captive to their experiences. And I can't blame them, some of them, because I know what happened to them. But how awesome is it when we can let go of those haunting memories, put them behind us, and run the race without that baggage? And Paul had many rough seasons, and having a hit on him throughout his ministry didn't make things any easier. But Paul trusted in the Lord and allowed the Holy Spirit to guide him, all the while being shielded by God. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is another bathroom mirror verse. You want to write it on there. Keep pushing forward toward the goal. Don't fade away. Stay in the word. Stay in the spirit. Stay in the fight. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. One thing that I ask someone when a conversation comes up and I feel it's appropriate as believers, I'll ask them if they've received the Holy Spirit. And not speaking of the gift of the Holy Spirit, talking about that initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit where you know God is in you. I'm curious if they can say, oh yeah, totally, without a doubt, I have. But what's interesting is how many people who claim to be believers, they don't really know what I'm talking about. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess. And a good verse to share with someone who seems not really engaged in the battle is 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Then you can ask them, hey, is Christ in you? And if they say they don't know, then you have a starting point to direct them to Jesus. And so if we, being mature, we are pressing on towards that goal, and we're hanging on to what we have attained. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We are guided by God. We're on that path, that narrow, difficult road that leads to life, and we keep it. We stay the course. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And Paul's speaking about his traveling companions. He had several of them. And the Philippians, they saw a whole group of Paul's traveling companions back there in Acts chapter 16. They saw how they behaved. They saw how they handled conflict. They saw how they endured suffering. They saw godliness in them. And here Paul is saying, hey, look, at, do the same thing. And earlier I spoke of those in the ministry who Paul said were in it for themselves. Here Paul is saying, hey, don't look at them. Look at the way that we lived among you. Look at our example. Look at how Jesus worked through us. And this doesn't come from our own strength. This comes from God magnifying his name through us as we do what he says. And Paul was a good witness. He could say this. Can we say that? Can we tell someone, hey, just look at my life as an example of all of these things written in Scripture? Or are we like, well, yeah, you know, do as I say, not as I do type of thing. You know, we need to be legit. Verse 18, for many of whom I have told you, and now I tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And these are not people who are anti-Jesus in the sense of unbelievers that Paul was encountering. These were the wolves in sheep's clothing that Jesus described in Matthew seven fifteen, where he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look great on the outside, but inwardly they are evil, and they hang out in churches. They say the right things, they do the right things, but you get to know them, and you're like, something's up with this person. And they're evil. They're the birds in that parable of Jesus, talking about the mustard seed growing into a great tree, the birds roosted in the, the nest. These are those agents of the devil that park in churches, and they remain there because they do just enough good to not get booted out. As the Bible says, you know them by their fruit whatever fruit they produce. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Verse 19, 
Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And it goes on to show how blessed he is. These people are the ones who don't do this. These are people who walk in the counsel of the wicked, who stand with sinners and sit with scoffers, and they're everywhere. Beware of them. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So here he's mentioned in the resurrection again, and I don't think we think enough about the resurrection. I know I don't. I don't think we put enough thought into that day when we're actually going through this thing. But when it happens, it's going to be awesome. And those who continually mock and scoff at our hope in the resurrection, they're going to be speechless. So as Paul wraps up chapter three, he's like, guys, look up. It's coming. Hang in there. Fight the good fight. Thank you.